Truth Triumphant Radio. I'm your host, Cody Mori, and today we are going to be talking about evolution specifically as a science. Now, last time we talked about evolution um, and its relationship really to education and have we benefited from it. Well, we've seen that over the years we've actually declined. Uh, and that was more of a broad view. Today we're actually going to look at it as a science specifically. So as we start here, I wanted to open up um, a textbook uh, by Solomon Berg and Martin called Biology, the 8th edition. And this was... This one was written in 2008, uh, but there are others. This is very similar to the one that I had when I was in higher education just a couple of years ago where I took a biology class. I wanted to look up the definition of evolution in the biology textbook here. This is on page two. So immediately, and this book will tell you that evolution is, is really the foundation of biology. So that's what they're teaching here. It says this, evolution, populations of organisms have evolved through time from earlier forms of life. Scientists have accumulated a wealth of evidence showing that the diverse life forms on this planet are related to that populations and that, and that populations have evolved. That is, have changed over time from earlier forms of life. The process of evolution is the framework for the science of biology and is a major theme of this book and essentially the book will pick up from there and I remember having this basically put to me in a discussion while I was in college the idea that the so-called theory as they say of evolution is actually not a theory anymore it's a fact and how 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 do you feel about that? How do you feel about they actually they changed the definition to basically the, the definition of even the word theory to a, a basically a set of facts. So they they pawn it off to people as a set of facts and they put it to us as students for a discussion. So and that was something I, I honestly felt like they were really Forcing evolution on the students there. And this is at a Christian school, mind you. A Christian school. Supposedly Protestant school. Um, now I want to take a look at the definition of science from dictionary.com. It's a branch of knowledge or study dealing with a body of facts or truths systematically arranged and showing the operation of general laws. So now enter in evolution. How does evolution stack up is it a science can it be called a science well I actually found an article online on uh, just richest and it says that the title of the article is five undeniable proofs of evolution and transformation of life so these are the five undeniable proofs number one fossils okay Fossils. To many, the thought of matching fossils to existing animals may seem extremely far-fetched because of the half-life of DNA is only 521 years. Fossils are without a doubt the best way to support the theory of evolution. Shedding light to fossilized creatures 
who had a bone structure similar to the animals living today and with similar physical attributes that point to the theory of evolution. Fossils are without a doubt the best evidence of evolution ever to be uncovered. For those who might be skeptical about the fossil theory, it is, it is extremely important to take a look at the fossils uh, of mammoth saber-toothed tigers as they are a few of the best evidence that supports the theory of evolution. Now, they don't really go into any, any more detail uh, other than that, except for, well, you know what, I'll just read the last sentence. It says, the fossils of these creatures suggest that the existing life forms on this planet are a miniature and evolved version of creatures when compared to our ancestors who roamed the Earth a few million years ago. Okay, now, why do they say fossils? They say fossils because when you find what they essentially what was what's been set up uh, by Charles Lyell and by Charles Darwin and others is the idea of the what they call uh, the the rock strata or the fossil the fossil layers. Okay, now essentially this is what it is in a nutshell. The fossils that they find are dated by the strata. Now, that's the, the different layers of rock sediment that they find. The fossils they find are dated by the strata in which they're in. And the strata, you, the, the question arises, right? Okay, well, then how do you date the rock strata itself? Well, interestingly enough, the rock strata is dated by the fossils which are located within it. You see a problem with that? I mean, absolutely, right? I mean, that is that is the epitome of circular reasoning. Circular reasoning where the thing that you're trying to prove is proven by something whose proof is the very thing you're saying. Let me explain. So essentially what they're saying is that evolution is proved by the fossils because the fossils can be dated by the rocks and the rocks can be dated by the fossils. Well, that, that really brings us nowhere, doesn't it? This is the type, is that a science? That's a question. Is that a science? No. And they even have evolutionists that, that talk about this. For instance, I have uh, J.E. O'Rourke, Pragmatism versus Materialism in Stratigraphy. Um, stratigraphy. On the American Journal of Science, January 1976, page 48. It says, The intelligent layman has long suspected circular reasoning in the use of rocks to date fossils and fossils to date rocks. The geologist has never bothered to think of a good reply, feeling the explanations are not worth the trouble as long as the work brings results. This is supposed to be hard-headed pragmatism. Essentially, so they admit it. They admit that it's a problem and that it should essentially just be ignored. Now, I'll give you another example as to why... Um, fossils are not proof or that you can sort of poke holes in the issue of fossils. Now, the problem with 
some of these dinosaurs being millions and millions and billions sometimes years old well millions really millions uh, millions of years old is that if they are millions of years old when we uncover them in in archaeology and other areas when we when we uncover them they shouldn't have live tissue in them would that would that be a safe estimate well would it surprise you brothers and sisters that they find dinosaurs with living tissue all the time do you remember the mammoth uh in in the late 90s early 2000s in 1990 right around that time they found a t-rex in montana it had live red blood cells in it uh we got an article from bbc news here on science and the environment blood cells found in dino fossils by paul rinkin science editor bbc news website june 9th 2015 and they find these things all the time it says researchers have discovered what appear to be the remnants of red blood cells and connective tissue and 75 million year old dinosaur fossils now what's the problem with that the problem with that is red blood cells specifically when they are introduced to oxygen they die out dry out very very quickly now if you're a creationist as i am this is not an issue because we believe in something called the flood and if the flood buried these animals very quickly then that would take care of the oxygen issue right then and there wouldn't it and if they're not 75 million years old but maybe a couple thousand years old instead that would also make a would be a lot a lot more logical when don't don't you think a lot more scientifically logical to suggest hey maybe this this dinosaur is just a couple of thousand years old and not 75 million years old you see because if it's 75 million years old you have to you have to wonder how did the red blood cells survive that long i mean it, it, it's really it's really a tough question for evolutionists to answer but it's certainly not a proof it, either way at the end of the day fossils are not a proof of evolution actually quite the contrary quite the contrary next we have biochemistry it says reptiles mammals is the same article Reptiles, mammals, humans may all look different on the surface, but when you take a closer look at their biochemistry, the mystery starts to unveil itself. It is a well-known fact that all living creatures on this planet are carbon-based, but when you take a closer look at the working of their internal organs and DNA, the basics are extremely similar. This supports time and again that all living creatures evolved from a similar basic type of organism with carbon as building blocks. Now, when you see animals, humans, and different structures, they're talking about biochemistry. They're talking about it in all of its forms. The fact that it's carbon-based, uh, the bone structures that are similar, the, the immune system structures that are similar, lungs, the different organs, the many things that coincide with each other. 
I would ask you a question as far if we could relate it to another area of uh, design, if you will, Des if you want to call it that, design. If Henry Ford were <clears throat> were to come up to a Jaguar and then a motorcycle and then a you know, let's say a Ferrari, then may maybe his Model T. After he saw all of those different cars, and let's say some of the some of the most, you know, state of the art things that, that they have nowadays. If he were to look at all those things, would he assume that they had a common ancestor or a common designer? Think about that, brothers and sisters. Think about that for a second. Biochemistry, if, it, if it's at all a, a proof, it's definitely not a proof, but if it's at all evidence or support for evolution, it is just as much support for creation. Just based off of the DNA systems, the red blood cells, white blood cells, the, the bone structures, it shows that we have a similar designer who designed all of these things in similar ways. I mean, the, the arg that argument is a non-argument because it can go either way. Okay, moving on. The, ne the next issue that comes into play is genetics. It says, did you know that you share up to 90% genetic similarity with cats and 80% genetic similarity with a cow? So essentially, and they said it's uh, best for long, it has been known that humans have almost 96% similarity with chimpanzees. What many people do not understand is that at the core of our DNA, our basic structure is the same. So DNA, essentially that's what they're saying, DNA here. Now, I'll tell you this, every human being on earth has the difference of less than, I believe, a tenth of a percent of DNA. And look how, look how different everyone is in the world. Less than a tenth of a percent. So the fact that chimpanzees have 96% and this is only what they've what they've calculated up to this time. There's a whole lot more information to continue. That number is actually was higher in the past. It was around 98%. It's gone down. And I assume it will continue to go down the more that they look into this. However, let's let's just take it at face value. Let's say it's 96%. 96% is a huge difference uh, when we're talking about DNA. If it's over, uh, I believe if it's over a half of a percent of a difference that two species, as they're called, cannot have children. Half of a percent. That's it. That's it. And yet we're supposed to believe that over the course of millions of years, we have changed and changed and changed away from chimpanzees, apes, monkeys, etc. Well, actually, 
I have another quote here from Michael Denton in his work, Evolution, A Theory in Crisis, uh, from uh, 1986, from pages 328 to 329, give us a little bit more information on DNA. He says this, To grasp the reality, we must magnify a cell a thousand million times until it is 20 kilometers in diameter and resembles a giant airship large enough to cover a great city like London or New York. What we would then see would be an object of unparalleled complexity and adapted design. Essentially, if you were to zoom in on this, okay? And he's talking about a cell here. And inside the cell holds the DNA. And if you took all of our DNA uh, in our whole body, it would fit into about a teaspoon. Okay. So on the surface of the cell, we would see millions of openings, like portholes of a vast spaceship, opening and closing to allow a continual stream of materials to flow in and out. If we were to enter one of these openings, we would find ourselves in a world of supreme technology and bewildering complexity. We would see endless highly organized corridors and conduits branching in every direction away from the perimeter of the cell, some leading to the central memory bank in the nucleus and others to assembly plants and processing units. The nucleus itself would be a vast spherical chamber more than a kilometer in diameter resembling a geodesic dome inside of which we would see all neatly stacked together in ordered arrays the miles of coiled chains of the DNA molecules. Miles of coiled chains. A huge range of products and raw materials would shuttle along all the manifold conduits in a highly ordered fashion to and from all the various assembly plants and the outer regions of the cell. We would wonder at the level of control implicit in the movement of so many objects down so many seemingly endless conduits, all in perfect unison. We would see all around us, in every direction we looked, all sorts of robot-like machines. We would be witness What we would be witnessing would be an object resembling an immense automated factory, a factory larger than a city and carrying out almost as many unique functions as all the manufacturing activities of man on earth. You hear that? That's just in one cell. That's just in one cell. And they say that the information, the information that is within your DNA, your DNA, my DNA, everyone's DNA, would be able to fill up if it was written down in books. It would be able to fill up the Grand Canyon 70 times. And that's just for one individual person. That's for each one of us. Folks, genetics, genetics is clearly, clearly a huge support for intelligent design. Think how hard, think how much... You think all that happened by random chance, by natural selection, by the environment and the different different things that we have to go through, whether it's hot or cold out, etc., that our DNA inside a cell 
would be able to operate like a, a highly sophisticated factory the size of an entire city with the different conduits and all that think of how hard it is just to build a, a small shed and put some put a light in it with electricity running from your circuit breaker it takes a lot of work it takes a lot of intelligent work it doesn't just happen the walls just don't go up the electricity doesn't just happen to come in over millions of years you see that's the problem the problem is is that evolutionists are expecting us to believe that this amount of information which if the cell if the cell brings the wrong thing to the wrong spot and and pushes out the wrong thing then the whole thing the whole the whole system breaks down every cell has to operate and conduct its job or else the organism that it's a part of dies so there's no really no trial and error here either it works or it doesn't either there's death or there's life so if anything DNA is a huge huge uh, support for intelligent design lastly we're gonna look at uh, the chordata perhaps the best proof of evolution put forward in the theory of evolution is that all living or organic things were derived from the chordates life form you may be asking yourself what exactly chordate means then in simple words it means everything living for example fish snakes crocodiles humans dogs cats etc all comprise of gills tails and similar spine structure while in the embryonic stage shocker right evolutionists strongly believe that the fact that humans belong to the phylum chordata has put forward the strongest proof that we evolved from similar animals and we evolved as per our needs and geographic location now did you catch that it says evolutionists strongly believe that means they don't know it's not a fact they're saying it's a fact in the beginning but then when they get to actually the nuts and bolts of it they're just saying evolutionists strongly believe and this is what you're gonna find this is this is a huge problem in society today in general not just talking about evolution but when it comes to the the subject matter experts or the scholars or the scientists agree that is not proof of anything most scholars think most scientists think this think that well that's great for them but that is not a fact that's not science that's not truth that's not proof and we as a people need to be rejecting that when we see that immediately evolutionists strongly believe that's not an argument that's nothing I mean all of Germany strongly believed that the Jews should be killed at one point okay so so we can't base things off of anybody's majority back in the 1800s they used to believe that if you were sick you had bad blood so they would bloodlet you the leading scientists of the day believed strongly believed agreed that 
cutting your veins open and letting out some of the, the blood would help cure you. Of course, people died from that. I mean, that's how, that's how you kill yourself. That's how you commit suicide. So just because scientists or a majority group says something doesn't make it, doesn't make it true at all. And again, when we see that argument, we should immediately balk at that. But what he's referring to here is essentially the, the fetuses, the zygotes. And it's, some, it's, a, it's a theory called ontogeny repic, recapitulates phylogeny. And this was in the 19th century. And it was by a man named Ernst Haeckel or Haeckel. And essentially what he, what he went around doing is he, he, he had this photograph that was proven to be a hoax and proven to be fake later. But he had this photograph of all these different uh, fetuses and basically said that, you know, we go through the evolutionary stages each time a fetus is born. Well, um, I have a quote here from creation.com, Creation Ministries International. It says this, there seems to be clear evidence that Haeckel purposely removed limb buds from the embryo drawings in his sources in order to make them look more similar in a correspondence to the editor of Nature. Richardson and Cuke explain and show pictures of how Haeckel purposefully removed the limb buds from an echidna embryo drawing. His source was a work of Richard Seaman, who used the original drawing in at least two works. Haeckel himself used the limbless drawing in at least two places as well. The fifth edition of the Anthropogeny and the late editions of Naturalic, uh, and then it, it's just, a, it's in German there. It says, uh, in closing, we can thus clearly see how Haeckel intentionally distorted embryo drawings in order to make them look more similar. And he was proven a fraud, and the, uh, his own university actually sued him. So this is the type of proofs and facts and foundations you can expect when it comes to the evolutionary theory. And as you, as you notice, just in that, in that five proofs of evolution that we read, which the, the fifth one, the fifth one is uh, just microbiology in general which is really a, a restating of the argument earlier with genetics and biochemistry in another way. That's why we're not really going into it. But if you notice, every, all the terminology in this whole article was very, was very vague. And oh, I'm sorry, it's by a, a girl, Amara Ona, April 2nd, 2020. So... And, and I mean, the title is Five Undeniable Proofs of Evolution. If it's undeniable, why so vague? Why so vague? Because, brothers and sisters, the fact of the matter is that these arguments really don't stand on their own. And what does the Bible have to say about all this? Well, we see in Jude... 
There's only one chapter, verse 17. It says, But beloved, remember ye the words which were spoken before of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ, how they told you there should be mockers in the last time, who should walk after their own ungodly lusts. These be they who separated themselves, sensual, having not the Spirit. So the reason why people mock the Bible is because they have a sin problem. And I mean, that that's what the gospel is all about, isn't it? They have a sin problem. And they don't want anyone telling them what to do. They want to cling to their sin. And so evolution provides that, that option of saying, well, there is no God, therefore there is no Scripture. If there is no Scripture, then there is no Ten Commandments. But the Bible says this in Romans chapter 3, verse 4. It says, God forbid, yea, let God be true, but every man a liar, as it is written, that thou mightest be justified in thy sayings, and mightest overcome when thou art judged. So, regardless of what we see in the sciences, God says that his Bible will always be the truth. He says no, no matter what comes up, what, what the, whatever the next hoax is, or the next special scholar or majority of scholars, whatever they agree on, it says, let God be true and every man a liar. When it doesn't coincide with the Bible, it is not true, simply put. Thank you guys for tuning in, and we'll catch you next time on Truth Triumphant Radio.